All right, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19 is our passage this morning. Uh, Now, we need to get a little bit into what's going on here. Uh, Habakkuk uh, begins this book by asking when God is going to act against the evil in Judah. That's what he's asking for. When, Lord, when are you going to, you can go back to chapter 1, uh, verse 2 is the, uh, the, the kicking verse there. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out, about, cry out to you about violence and you do not save? He's crying out about what's going on in his own country of Judah, among his own people in Judah. That's his concern. Now, Habakkuk gets a response that he wasn't really expecting. And uh, I, I've, I've preached on this earlier passage before, and I love uh, how people misuse um, th- this this response. Now I've got to I've got to find it. Um, yeah, chapter uh, chapter one, verse five. God responds to Habakkuk's question by saying, uh, "Look." And at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. And people like to take that verse and make pretty little signs out of it and do some uh, crochet or, or cross-stitch and, and all this stuff. Well, if you keep reading, you find out that the thing that Habakkuk's not going to believe God's about to do is uh, pretty much kill everybody. Uh, that's not the verse you want on your wall. That's not the, hey, let's put this verse up because God's going about, about to kill everybody. That's what he is anticipating. And then the rest of Habakkuk, uh, and he's doing that. This is not long before uh, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians come in and take over Judah and ship them all off in uh, 586 B.C. And uh, they're going to be wiped out. There's not going to be much left at all. And it's going to be a couple of hundred years before anybody comes back and rebuilds Jerusalem. We, we see that with Nehemiah rebuilding the wall and, and, and that part of Scripture. And the, the rest of Habakkuk is, is this prophecy, but it's, a, it's actually kind of a prophecy, prayer, dialogue, conversation. It's, it's, it's Habakkuk says something, God answers. Habakkuk says something, God answers. And we now have, have come to the end of the conversation in chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. It, it looks kind of like uh, Habakkuk gets the last word, but that's not the case at all. Uh, God has had the last word. Habakkuk at this point is just admitting it and admitting that he is now fully understanding some truths about God. So we, we see this, uh, read this with me, uh, chapter uh, 5, or rather chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Habakkuk responds, says, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. There's the title of my message today. Yet I will celebrate. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountains heights, on mountain heights. 
for the choir director on stringed instruments. So we get to the end of this passage and the end of the book, and uh, Habakkuk's just kind of a, in a, oh my goodness, state. Uh, he says, uh, I heard and I, I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. The first sentence there, the... Uh, uh, the, the first part, let me stop for a second, where uh, if you're on Facebook, uh, go over to our YouTube page. I'm still seeing comments that the, the audio is messing up. It's fine on YouTube. Uh, if somebody that can hear will type that in on the, the YouTube, uh, the, um, uh, I see it there. Thank you, Joey, for putting that in there. Uh, go over to the YouTube uh, site, our our, our, fa- our uh web page, and you can see it from there, and I understand that it's doing fine. So, uh, the first sentence of chapter 1 is all about Habakkuk's physical response to hearing from God. It, 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 we, we see this, uh, this stunned awe in verse 16. He, he's, at this point, God has definitively and finally spoken. The conversation is over as far as God is concerned. He's, there, there's nothing else for him to say. He said it all. Habakkuk realizes this, and, and now he's responding, but it's a physical response at the, in this first sentence. It's, it is a physical response primarily, or at least particularly, to the actual voice of God. Psalm 29 tells us, that the voice of the Lord is a number of things. It, it is upon the waters. It's powerful. It breaks the cedars. It hews out flames of fire or carves flames of fire. It shakes the wilderness. And it makes the deer give birth. I mean, it is a powerful voice in and of itself. Just, just the very voice of God was all Habakkuk needed to know the power of God. The words didn't matter. It was just the power of that voice. And Habakkuk, at this point in the conversation, has felt the full power of that. That doesn't mean that God was yelling at him. That doesn't mean that it, he was being mean or, or his, his, anything like that. It was just Habakkuk has now felt the weight of it. We can look back at Abraham. Abraham understood it too when he was uh, discussing uh, how many good people might be in Sodom. And he kept saying, forgive me, Lord. That was typically a, a, a common bartering technique at that time to, to I, I don't mean to offend here, but it was also an understanding of, of, of who was greater. Abraham knew, I, I know who I am uh, quote, arguing with, and, and I want to be careful here and tread lightly, and Habakkuk understands that too, and now he comes to the end of it, and he realizes how great that God that he is talking with is. But, but Habakkuk is also responding to the content of the message, the things he has learned ever since chapter 1, verse 5, the things that God has said he was going to do. He's responding to the fact that life is about to be horrible. 
unlike anything they have seen in the past, we would probably use the word unprecedented. Now, I've used that word a bunch of times this week. Personally, I've seen headline after headline after headline in the news that uses the word unprecedented, and it's almost lost all of its power because we've had to use it so much this week. And, and, and it, doesn't, it, it doesn't change. It's still unprecedented. And, and the things that we're doing, I, I said, I think, in maybe the first video I put online, that unless you were alive in 1918 during the, and can remember the Spanish flu, you've not experienced anything like this. None of us have. And, and we, so, so this is all brand new to us. And, and with technology and medicine and those sorts of things, it, it creates a lot more opportunities for church online and creates more opportunities for uh, faster health care and those sorts of things. But it is still, for us, unprecedented. That's where Habakkuk was at this moment. He, he, he de- uh, describes the, what he's feeling. He, he trembled within. Um, that's talking about uh, his tummy and uh, what it did to his tummy to hear the Lord. I, I won't be too graphic, but you can get some idea uh, of what nerves sometimes do to uh, digestive systems. That's the kind of thing he's talking about. My, my lips quivered at the sound you you know somebody you're scared just their teeth are chattering that's what he's talking about here rottenness entered my bones the idea that he couldn't hold himself up anymore i trembled where i stood this is the response to the voice of god and to the words of god god had spoken to habakkuk and he was about to speak to judah the country of judah through this coming nightmare. This was a message to Judah that he was sending. Now, before I get too far into this, I am not going to stand up here this morning and tell you that coronavirus is a judgment. I'm no prophet. I'm not going to make that statement. I am going to say, though, that God can use anything to judge his people and to judge his church to make a judgment, to correct, to redirect, to reset, to reconstruct, to force us to reevaluate. And that is exactly what he was doing to Judah. This was going to force them to reconstruct, reset, reevaluate, and it was going to be an extreme reset and reevaluation. And he could be, I dare say he is, whether this is an act a specific act of judgment or not he will use this virus to speak to the church for this time what we know about God from all of scripture is that he speaks through all circumstances so not only do we have a picture here of Habakkuk's response to the audible voice of God and his 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 very speaking to Habakkuk, we have his response to how God will continue to speak through the coming action, through the coming nightmare. And God can speak just as powerfully through a pandemic that has shut down the world economy, 
not just Louisiana, not just the U.S., but the world economy. He can speak through that just as loudly, just as easily, just as powerfully as he can through an approaching army like the Babylonians. God still speaks. And the reality of God is he doesn't have to do anything to show his power. He doesn't have to cause an act. He doesn't have to uh, create a virus. He doesn't have to send an attacking army. His word contains power all on its own. And really, that's where the church should be today. The church should be responding to the very power of his word and not waiting for a virus or a war to hear him speak. The virus is actually less powerful than God's word. The virus is actually, I mean, the, uh, an approaching army is actually less powerful than God's word. We could go back through the entire Old Testament beginning with David's sons, uh, well, Solomon, eh, and, but then after that, in the split kingdom, and, and, and the wicked kings, and over and over and over, God said, return to me, return to me, return to me. His words were just as powerful, but for whatever reason, uh, sin, that's the reason, the people did not respond to the power of the word. They had to wait for the power of the act. His words are more powerful than the act. And we as the church should respond to his words. But there's promise here. There's hope. The end of verse 16. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Listen to that. He is confident. He is melting at the fact that this judgment is going to come on Judah. But in his melted state, in his quivering state, he says, Now I must quietly, patiently wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. For the destruction, for the deliverance from what is currently causing or will soon cause the nightmare on our country. That's what he's saying. What he's saying here, for one, is that hard times are certain. It's a given that the invading country is coming. Hard times are going to be are certain. The economy is not certain, except in the fact that it's uncertain. Biology is uncertain, except in the fact that we all die. There's, there are always problems. There are always hard times. This time, for us, today... It's a virus. Last time for us in South Louisiana, probably the biggest thing we can think of that disrupted our lives, what's the first thing that comes to mind before the virus? Rita, last time it was a hurricane. That's what I have in my notes right here. I knew that's what the answer you are going to give me. Last time it was a hurricane. Who knows what it will be next? I saw a meme on Facebook the other day. It said, uh, hurricane season, you better come in, sit down, and shut up. And I paraphrased that, I uh, had to clean it up a little bit, but, uh, but that's it's exactly right, because we're, we're a month away from hurricane season, two months away from hurricane season, aren't you happy? Michael's full of good news today. But who knows what will be next? What we do know is that hard times are certain. But what we also know, I must quietly wait 
for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Where does that day of distress come from? The Lord. His intervention against the people that he is now allowing and therefore using to come against Judah. What we see here is that God will never abandon his people, no matter how bad it gets. No matter the situation we go through, God will never abandon his people. God's people can wait. God's people can rest, as Habakkuk says here. Quietly wait. Rest knowing God is in control. That doesn't mean there aren't uh, things to do. That doesn't mean there aren't precautions to take. That doesn't mean there aren't steps we need to go through. Whether at that time they had to prepare for war, they had to make all those preparations. In their case, it wasn't going to do any good. The judgment was coming. In our case, there are separations. Uh, there are preparations and steps. I'm going to coin a new word. Separations. That's when you have to take steps and prepare at the same time. There are things we have to do in order to get ready. But once we're ready, once we've done the things that we can do, and there's nothing else that we can do, we can rest quietly, waiting on God, knowing He's in control. See, Habakkuk moved from chapter 1, verse 2, where he says, How long, Lord, crying out, how long? What, what are you doing, God? That would be kind of our vernacular today. What are you doing, God? What, what are you waiting on? Can you not see how bad it is here in our town? Can you not see the difficulties we're having right here locally among our people? Can you not do anything to fix that? And God says, I'm about to, but not the way you think. Could that be this virus? People have cried out, God, what are you doing? Why are you waiting to step in in this situation in my family, in this situation in my church, in this situation in my country? What are you, why aren't you doing something? And God could be saying, I'm about to, but it's not going to be the way you think. I, I'm confident that's how he will use that, that virus. Habakkuk moves from, how long, O Lord, in chapter 1, verse 2, to, I will wait patiently, in chapter 3, verse 16. Basically condemning God for not acting fast enough to saying, never mind, I will just sit here and wait, sir, and you do it the way you want to. That's what we see. Why could he do that? How could he do that? Because of the previous three chapters. Because he had spent time with God in prayer. See, in all of these questions, in all of this dialogue, and I'm sure other people can see this. Let me, this is a technical issue. They're saying they lost sound on YouTube and Facebook now. I'm sure y'all see it too, but uh, I just want to acknowledge to to anybody that's watching that, I, that we see it too. So uh, we'll work on that. Apologies for that. Um, uh, in all of these questions, in all of this, even that, that first thing, where are you, God? What are you going to do? Habakkuk was never condemned by God for his questions. Not once. He was corrected 
He was redirected. He was given answers that he did not understand and he did not like, yet he was never condemned. God never said, how dare you question me? How dare you come to me and think you know more than me? Now, if we go back and we read Job, you see some of those answers toward Job, yet God always answered. God corrected. And sometimes God has to say, it's not for you to know, fella. It's not for you to know, lady. It's for me. But he never condemns us for that. He never says, get out of my sight. You don't, you, I don't even want to see you anymore. That is never what we hear from God. We hear correction. We hear, uh, very, uh, we, we hear redirection. In this time of, for our situation, virus and pandemic, it will be our time with God that moves us from how will this last to I will patiently wait on the Lord. Let me say that one more time. It will be our time with God. It will be our prayer. It will be our worship. It will be our joining together, even virtually. It will be those things that move us from how long will this last, how long it's going to last, but it'll be our time with God that moves us from how long will this last to I will wait patiently on the Lord. Uh, I'm, I'm in a few different Facebook groups. And one of the questions in one of them was, how long are you willing to go to virtual services until you say, that's too much, we're going back to meeting in church again? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how that's going to work. It would, it d- would depend on government rules and regulations. It would depend on the people. It, there are so many factors. I can't answer that question today. I know what we've planned. We, we kind of have planned to be virtual for uh, four Sundays through Easter. That's, that's the plan right now. Who knows how that will change? I don't know what the, the answer is. I don't know when this ends. I don't know when the virus is gone. I don't know when it's safe. But I do know that our response has got to be an echo of Habakkuk. I must quietly wait for the Lord. I will wait patiently on the Lord. And then verse 17, Habakkuk shows us the coming loss. He talks about what's going to happen when, again, in his case, Babylon invades, uh, the Chaldeans invade. When they show up, he's telling us what will happen in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. Now that though at the beginning means when, basically. It's not a conditional thing as if it might or it might not. He is describing what will happen, not what might happen. And by the way, they have sound again uh, on something I see, at least on, it looks like on Facebook. He's describing what will happen, not what might happen. In his case, he's looking at, the, as, at a result of war and national disobedience. But there's a progression here of what he describes. What he describes is a loss of everything. But what we see is an economic 
loss. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something we, would, uh, we could uh, uh, relate to? But he begins in the verse, first verse, or the first part of the verse, though the fig tree does not bud and there's no fruit on the vines, that's loss of luxuries. You didn't have to have figs. You didn't even have to have grapes. That, that, those were things that if you had, great. If you didn't, oh well, those were luxuries. Then we see uh, the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Well, those are important items. Olive oil was the, a, a, a staple for them. The, the grain was a staple for them. So now they're losing important things. You know, we might be losing luxuries. Well, we can't get the little Biscoff cookies that we like so much. If you don't know what those are, don't worry about it. I just like Biscoff cookies. Or even better, the cookie butter that's made of ground-up Biscoffs, and you put them on English, toasted English muffins. Oh, my goodness. Now, currently, we haven't lost those things. We haven't lost luxuries. We're actually going the other direction, right? We're losing important items. Actually, the, the third part of this is the necessities of life. Flocks disappear from the pens. There are no herds in the stalls. That's where they got their milk. That's where they got their clothing. They lose those things. They have nothing anymore. This, that's, they're losing toilet paper. Right? And that's where, that's where we are. We, we, you can't find toilet paper. Now, our lives are incredibly blessed, even without our toilet paper. You know, we, there, there are other uh, <coughs> options that we can use. So we're not anywhere near this. But that's what he was facing. That's what we need to see, is that he was looking at a loss of everything, a horrible situation that destroys the economy, that causes extensive loss of life, that uproots people and moves them away. Now, we do hear echoes, right, of our own lives? If not the virus, I mean, we can certainly talk about a loss of things, either luxuries or important items, necessities. We can talk about an economy that is certainly depressed now. Loss of life, if it goes, the worst case scenario is probably not going to happen, but the worst case scenario from this is millions of lives lost just in our country. If we're talking about losing comforts, if we're talking about being uprooted, and that's what happened with these folks. They were taken from Judah and shipped off to Babylon. If we're talking about that, we may not see that from the virus at the moment, but we did see that from Hurricane Katrina, right? New Orleans still has not recovered its population from when folks left from Katrina. We do understand some of what he's talking about, if not to the extent that he's talking about. But what does he say? Well, that's the next part. He has a joyful focus. He is about to lose everything. He, he is, I, I don't remember now, it's been too long since I studied the entire book. Uh, he's a, a, an, a, a, I believe he's a 7th century prophet, so he may still be a, a hundred years or so from the uh, actual uh, Babylonian exile. 
So he may not have experienced this himself, but he knows what's coming. And at this point, he didn't know he wasn't going to experience it if he didn't. Again, I don't remember if he did or not. He may have. But regardless, knowing what's coming, knowing the potential to be a part of what's coming, and to experience the loss, Habakkuk says, yet I will celebrate in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Let's count all the things externally that changed because of his prayers. You go back through the the book, you can read it all, and you can, you can see all the places where God said, you're right, never mind. Okay, I won't do that. Okay, I've changed my mind. You, 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 can, you can count them right now by looking up here at me and not even looking at your Bible, it's zero. Nothing changed externally. Habakkuk's prayers, Habakkuk's argument, we could say, didn't change anything. The power of God's voice, the time that he had spent with him, and the understanding that God has everything in control was all he needed. The change that we see in the book of Habakkuk is completely and totally internal, not external. Habakkuk's heart changed. No matter what's going to happen, Lord, as, as horrible as this is, and I can't believe in your right My mind has never conceived of the thing that you're going to do. Never. I understand it happened into the northern kingdom to to Israel. See, it had happened to them, uh, depending on when Habakkuk uh, prophesied, it may not not even have happened to the northern kingdom yet. But even if it had, he would have been, oh, well, yeah, the northern kingdom, Israel, they didn't have the temple. They They weren't real believers. So I can see it happening to them. They had Ahab and all those people. But us? We're Judah. We have Jerusalem. We're we're, we're from David's. We we followed Solomon. Why us? In all of that, the only thing that changed was Habakkuk's heart. Lord, I hear who you are. I hear your word. And I'm good. See, this celebration, yet I will celebrate for Habakkuk, was celebration in God, not in stuff. This was not him either just toughing it out. Well, all right, I'll grip my teeth and bear it and complain the whole time and gripe and and I hate this and why is God doing this? This is this is a hundred and eighty degree difference. This is rejoicing in the situation. This is him saying, as we lose everything, I can rejoice in losing everything. I can celebrate that I have nothing anymore. Whoo, Habakkuk, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that kind of faith. Give me a little faith that allows me to gripe and complain and not like what's going on, but say, but I know God's got it. I want that kind of faith because that makes me feel better. That makes me feel like I still have some control. That makes me feel like I don't look like a fool in front of everybody else. Look at that idiot Christian believing everything's going to be okay. Everything's going crazy. It's that sort of, so I just want that kind of faith, God. I don't want Habakkuk faith that says, no matter what I lose, I will celebrate the loss because I still have God. That's major. 
As a matter of fact, he's doing this because his rejoicing is in God. He doesn't celebrate and he doesn't worship God because of the stuff God has for him, does for him, gives him. That's not the source of his celebration. The handouts, the things, the the comforts of life, those aren't why he celebrates in God, rejoices in God. If that is why you celebrate and rejoice in God, then you're focusing on the wrong things. And then when those things are taken away, your faith is too. At the very least, it is incredibly uh, 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 tried and crushed and and, 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 uh, you might describe it the way Habakkuk does it himself. I heard, I trembled within, my lips quivered at the sound, rottenness entered in my bones, I trembled where I stood. If, if, your, if your faith is in God for what you think he owes you and what you think he should give you and only in those things that you have and the comforts of life, then when hard times come around, what you're going to say is, I heard and my faith trembled within, my faith quivered at the sound rottenness entered my faith my faith trembled where it stood and you're going to have a hard time getting to the next two verses yet my faith will celebrate in the lord your your faith you can't celebrate in the lord when you're turning let's not say turning your back but at least turning a cold shoulder to god because he didn't give you what you wanted what you thought you deserved. Habakkuk uses the same wording, the same type of words, the same emotion and passion in the words celebrate and rejoice that he uses earlier in the the, the, uh, book when he talks about fear and and anxiety. As as passionate and, and emotional as his fear and anxiety were at the beginning, now he is just as passionate and as emotional over his celebrating and rejoicing. What can do that to a person? What can he, remember, he is praying for a, uh, um, a wake-up call to his people. Asking God, why haven't you done something to wake us up? And God says, I'm about to, and, and the way I'm going to do it is to wipe you out. And he goes through all the emotions of that. What? Whoa, whoa, hey, hey, I was just, you know, we just need a little, and you're talking about a lot. This is, why are you doing this too? Finally, no matter the results of that judgment, I will celebrate. Yet, I will celebrate. Yet, I will rejoice. How can he do that? Well, partially because he has spent time with God, right? We talked about that. He had spent time in prayer. Now he knew God in a way that at the beginning, even as a prophet of God, in the beginning he did not know. And now he knows him differently. It's amazing what prayer and Bible study can do. How you can know God differently at the end of that than you thought you did at the beginning. No matter how long you've been a believer. No matter how much you've studied scripture. That's part of it. That, that's half of it. The other half is who God is. He is a sovereign Lord. Verse 19. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights for the choir director on stringed instruments. 
How can Habakkuk believe verse 19? How, rather, how can you believe verse 18? How can that be part of Scripture? How can that be Habakkuk's response? Because of verse 19, his sovereign Lord. That is the covenant name and the relational name of God. Sovereign Lord, Yahweh Adonai. There are only six times in Scripture that Yahweh Adonai are put together. Five of those are in Psalms. Once is in Habakkuk. It's the sovereign Lord. Not just the Lord. Not just Yahweh. I mean, there, that, that, that brings comfort. I am who I will be. I am that I am. I always was and I always will be. Sure, God got it. You, you, you're the same in, in, in eternity past. And you will be the same in eternity future. And that helps ish. Okay, yeah, I got it, but, but what about right now? What about, I mean, that's you, but what about us? What about your relationship to us? What about all this stuff that's going on? You're the same, you don't change, but are you not paying attention to what's going on? And he says, not only am I the same then and, 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 and the same there and, and the same now, but I'm in charge of everything then and, and there and now. I am sovereign and I am always, I am always sovereign. And that is Habakkuk's strength. The sovereign Lord is my strength. What does he not say are his strengths? Fig trees and grapes and crops and produce and flocks and herds. Those aren't his strengths. He doesn't talk about walls being his strength. He doesn't talk about uh, the army of uh, Judah being his strength. He doesn't talk about quarantines and medicines and government bailouts being his strength. All necessary steps to take in a situation like ours, he should have been setting up, uh, bringing in crops for the siege and that sort of thing. That's what they should have been doing. But those were not his strength. They were all good and necessary, like quarantines and medicine and government bailouts for our situation. But those are not where our strength lies. Our economy doesn't lie in the government's bailouts. Our personal fortunes do not lie in what we have and in government bailouts. Our strength lies in God. And that's a confidence that we can have in the situation. That's, that's why we can celebrate. That's why we can rejoice. That's why we can say it does not matter what happens. And I know that sounds flippant. Well, Michael, of course it matters. Of course it matters. But it doesn't matter. It matters now. It matters in this moment. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. But in the grand scheme, in our relationship with God, none of that matters because none of that affects our God or our relationship to Him. Habakkuk questioned God's work. Right at the beginning, when are you going to do something? You're not working like you're supposed to, God. He questioned His work. And at the end, he found that God is at work in everything. God's always planning. God's always, God always has a plan. God is always working in a situation. And then he says, the Lord is my strength. 
and he gives two phrases. He makes my feet like a deer, enables me to walk on mountain heights. He's confident that the outcome is victory for the people of God. He was confident in verse 16. He's, continue, he's still confident in verse 19. No matter the ending to the crisis, the people of God win. No matter what happens in Judah, when the foreign army comes, the people of God win. No matter what happens in Sulphur or Louisiana or the U.S. or the world, at the end of this virus, whenever it is, the people of God win. But notice, the people of God win. Our confidence is in our Lord. Our confidence is not in anything else. And I do not know how people who don't trust Jesus Christ make it through these things. I don't understand how they can approach this and feel any sort of security when everything seems to be crumbling. We know that our God never crumbles. And it is our faith, right? Our faith in Him. He makes my feet like those of a deer. He, it's understood, enables me to walk. It's our faith that provides victory. High places in Scripture, high places for an army, were a sure sign of victory. If you took the high ground, you pretty much had them. That's why they built the, 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 the uh, cities on hills and the walls around them. At a, uh, and I've been to Spain on mission trips, and, and every 30 miles or so, it's, it's a castle. And every castle is built on a hill. And castle walls, and they're you know, five, six, seven hundred years old, some of them, and, 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 and up on the hill, the highest point in that area, you can see for miles, there's one uh, that you could see um, from, it was 30 miles from, from city to city, uh, from, uh, from Trujillo to, oh, the city, Catharus, seems like it, anyway, it doesn't matter to y'all, but you could stand on the wall of one castle, and on a clear day with no haze, you could see 30 miles to the other city and the castle on the hill over there. The high places were signs of victory. And Habakkuk says, we're on the high places. We will be on the high places. He has made my feet like deer. We will get up there. By faith, we achieve those high places. But, but you said the fig tree and the fruit. I know. But you said the, the produce and, and the grain, and, and I know. But you said the flocks and the herd, I know. And yet, we will be on the high places. We will be victorious by faith. And then he ends with for the choir director. And, and a lot of folks would skip over that because it's just a, you know, it's musical notation. There's nothing there. Oh, there's something there. For the choir director tells us that this is not personal or private. This is not Habakkuk's faith. This is faith for the people of the Lord, for the people who trust the Lord. Choir director, sing this out. Get all of them to sing it, because this is for the entire church. Every believer has the promise of victory over every situation. Every believer has the promise of victory over every situation. I'm not asking anybody to send money for uh, a coronavirus cure or uh, some blessed water or a rag that's going to heal you. I ain't talking about that kind of victory. He may, we may be victorious over that individual trial or tribulation, and we may not. But every believer has victory in Jesus Christ because of our confidence of what comes next.
So what should I do? It's where we always want to end up, right? What should I do? First of all, we need to understand God's power. We need to understand that He in His very word is powerful. Certainly by His very act is powerful. He embodies power. We have to understand that. But in relation to His power, we have to understand our frailty. Our response to him must be trembling and quivering and rottenness and, 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 and melting and just, oh my goodness, that he would speak to me. But that same God of power, that same God of strength that melts us at his word also causes us, point number three, understand our response, causes us to respond in faith. That same God who can zap me, if he wanted to, just I'm gone, poof. At a thought, he doesn't have to say it, he just has to think it and it happens. That God loves me. That God sent his son to die for me. That God will never leave me if I'm his child. So understand that your response must be worship. No matter how things occur, no matter what happens at the end of this trial, I will worship, I will celebrate, I will rejoice in God because, number four, I understand God's control over all things. He is the sovereign Lord. He will never cease to be, he never ceased to be in the past, but he's not distant and high above and, and, and hands off, he is sovereign. He is over every situation. This is a map. Understand this is a map for our salvation in Jesus Christ. Understand God's power. We call that God's design. He created things a certain way. He, he did things a certain way. He set up his design. And in our frailty, in our sinfulness, we broke it. We experience brokenness. Our brokenness, our sinfulness is a result of our frailty when it comes to our relationship with him. God's design was one thing. Any departure from that is sin, and it always leads to brokenness. But what's our response? Our response to our brokenness is to repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is what saves us. The gospel is what will get you through this situation. It is the only thing that will get you through the situation. You want to see brokenness? Look around. Look at the economy. Look at the people sick. Look at the people dying. There is brokenness. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will give us hope in this situation. And you can experience that by putting yourself under his control. That was our fourth point, right? Understand God's control. We put ourselves in his control by trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior, believing that he is who he said he was, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that through that relationship, we can begin to recover and pursue that relationship, that design. We can go back to God's power. Depend fully on that and our relationship, or rather our circumstances, no longer matter. 
because the ultimate promise we have is a promise of victory in Jesus Christ, whether it's war or virus. Pray with me. Father, I thank you that your power is our hope, that that your gift of salvation is our hope. Your power, that's just another example of your power over sin. Another, rather, another example of your power, that power over sin. And we can experience that relationship with you that allows us to say with Habakkuk, yet I will celebrate because of our relationship with you, because of that power. And God, we thank you that you do that, that you hold us in your hand, that you are sovereign over all things, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And like Habakkuk, we may melt at your word, we may tremble at what you're doing, and we ought to, but we can confidently say, yet I will celebrate, yet I will rejoice. I have a relationship with that sovereign Lord through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will work on the hearts of those listening. If there's somebody listening now who does not have a relationship with you, that they would trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. They would turn to you today and have the peace and the comfort that is only known through trials by that relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how should you respond today? Should should you accept Christ? You can do that right where you are. You don't have to be here in this building. If you understand that you're a sinner and you know that, that without him, if, if the virus got you or whatever, you would not go to be with him, then you can have a relationship with Jesus today. You just admit that you're a sinner. Believe what the Bible says about Jesus, that he is all you need, that he has saved you from your sins by his blood, but you have to choose to follow him. You have to confess those sins to him and say, I want that salvation. It's, it's as simple as that. And you can do that there. And if that's something you do, we'd love for you to comment on our Facebook page or send us a message. Send us an email here at the church. We would love to get back to you. Maybe you need to be baptized. You've made that decision and, well, social distancing, we're going to have to wait a little while for the baptism, but we would love to know that God's working on you with that. Believer, maybe you need to lead a life of holiness you need to recommit, return. Maybe you need to let this time of separation graphically illustrate to you how much you need your church family and how you need to come back and how you need to be a part of this and that this church relationship can't be second to anything. It's easy to say, I want to do this this week or that next week, but but it really stinks when you want to be there and can't. Maybe we need to want to be here more. And this is something you need to pray about. Other issues, uh, you, you need to join FBC. Well, we can do our discovery class online. We can do that with Zoom or other uh, group places. So, you know, whatever it is, you can comment on there. Send the church a message, and we'd love to pray for you. We're going to have a time of response. We're going to continue to worship. We're going to sing a song here, and then at the end of that song, uh, Amy's going to come and close us in prayer. Tom's going to come and give us the uh, announcements that he gave at the beginning that I can't remember. But this is your time to continue to worship with us. And
to pray and to see what God is saying to you. I would say stand, but, you know, you're at home. I wouldn't know if you did or not. But sing with us.